Well, let's start in a moment of prayer before I get into my message for us. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for going before us in this message, Lord, that my words would be your words, that you would be glorified by all that we think about and we say this morning, Lord, that all things would be lifted up for our edification, Lord, but most of all and only for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the spirit that you've given us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I want to just quickly outline the reason for writing the book Wicked and why we've been going through this series for the last month, month and a half now. When I wrote the book, a lot of my frustration was with the fact that more often than not, it seems that Christians are fighting an enemy of their own making. When I hear other Christians speak about the battle that we are called to wage with wickedness or to demolish the strongholds that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I often hear about a fallen angel or mysterious demons, but I never really understood what was the biblical battle, what is being explained through Scripture, what is the goal of the knowledge of God. And that was my mind and my heart as I studied to show myself approved and recorded my thoughts and put them in the book Wicked. So what we've been doing is going through each chapter of that book in this series we're calling Outlining Wickedness. And today, we're going to identify wickedness. This is a very important point that is made throughout the book. This is an important study that I have delved into, and I'm going to bring those details before you all this morning. So we're entering into chapter 3 of the book. And in that chapter, I tell you that there are 10 Hebrew and Greek words that have been translated as wicked or wickedness in our English Bibles. These words are important because each one of them identify a certain aspect of wickedness that we are called to look at and demolish and remove. Again, the goal is for us to demolish wickedness and to manifest his kingdom where life can be found, where healing can be found. So the the nine Hebrew words are Ra, Rasha, Resha, Risha, Avin, Hava, Zima, Evel and Roa, as if any of that matters to you. However, if you have the book, <laughs> chapter 3, you can look into these words in details and do the word study um, that, that's presented before you. And then the Greek word is poineria. So these are the words that are used to identify wickedness in the Bible. And I'm not going to go through each and every definition this, this morning. I do urge you to get your hands on a copy of Wicked. Every one of you have a copy. And... Uh, do the research and do the study. Delve into the study because it was a blessing. And you'll see this morning, prayerfully, I will help you identify that and challenge you and encourage you to read that chapter and become familiar with uh, what wickedness is. And then, dare I say, I will implore you to help me in our work as Christians to not only identify wickedness that is pervading our society, but to destroy it. I say this in the book. The age-old question of evil's origin seems to be answered when we examine the use of the Hebrew word ra, describing that which brings adversity, affliction, and calamity, among other terms that speak of evil, especially as it has to do with the beginning, the Genesis. You see, in Genesis, many of you know that I hold to a view called covenant creation, because what we're reading is a creation account. Again, the ancient Near Eastern cultures were... Their, their societies depended upon their understanding of these creation accounts. That was the history of the people, all the different tribes and nations. You see, in our creation account that we read in Genesis, there's some interesting things. You know, many people um, talk about 
how everything began at the fall of the Garden of Eden. Well, I just want to point out some interesting details for you in regards to wickedness. The serpent was there before the fall. The deceiver, deceit, existed before the fall. Consider that this morning. The serpent was there to deceive Adam and Eve. Therefore, there had to be wickedness and deceit there. Evil existed before the fall. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam was called not to eat from. And death existed before the fall because Adam was threatened with death. And it's impossible to threaten somebody with something that they don't understand the details of. You know, is it good? Is it bad? What is death? What is this mooth that you speak of, Lord? So death had to have existed prior to the fall. It's encouraging that more and more people are coming over to understand that concept. The other evening, we watched Ray Vanderlaan in Wednesday Night Bible Study explain how God brings shalom, peace, order, and harmony by bringing forth judgment upon the chaos and breathing shalom into the environment, peace. So God, how he works, what Ray Vanderlaan was pointing out, the Hebrew God, is that he reaches into adversity, he reaches in and brings judgment and then brings order. Because our God is not a God of confusion. So he reaches into those situations, always seeking to bring forth shalom. What you'll see in the story, unfortunately, is that man, an inborn trait, a natural trait of man, is that we rebel against God bringing order. We work against the very essence of life in our seeking of life. The Egyptians understood this order as the term mat. And mat meant a functional creation, giving divine order. And that's what we see happening in Genesis. In the beginning chapters of Genesis, God reaches into a formless and void Earth, Genesis 1.1. And he breathes life. He creates a man in his image, Adam. And he sets forth that man to bring forth life. That that man now has access. He's in the Garden of Eden. He has access to the God's presence, to the healing, to the knowledge of God. And man can walk in the fullness of that if he does not eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. If he does not partake of that fruit. Unfortunately, man... What that story reveals, that creation account, is that man will all too often wander, leaning upon his own understanding, and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in Genesis 3, we read that story. We read about the death that Adam suffered, that the image of God suffered because of sin. It's an inherent problem. The Hebrew people would have identified this as a conceptual reality. Conceptual means of the mind. And reality is what is real. And the real things are not the physical world. Rather, how we conceptually understand the physical world that we live in. I'll give you a couple examples. Genesis 1.1 is taking man out of a formless and void creation, an idolatrous creation. We know in the ancient Near East they set up so many different false cultic religions. And the Hebrew religion was set in contrast to those religions. Was the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God being given to those he would place in his presence. Later, this would be revealed as Israel, God's people. They would be placed in the land, which was typified by the Garden of Eden. They would be placed in the land as his image, told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, idolatry, leaning upon their own understanding or their own misunderstanding for that matter. We see another conceptual image of... uh, In Ephesians, where the saints, the living saints in Ephesus, were mentioned as being seated in heavenly realms. 
You see, it has everything to do with the conceptual reality you're called to live in. Are you following after the thief? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you standing upon a firm foundation or are you on a flimsy foundation that is going to be washed out to sea? And then we see the destruction and the defeat of Satan. And we're not going to get into a whole big explanation of that because in chapters to come, in messages and sermons to come, we're going to be dealing with the Satan, the the demons, the angels, and all those things of wickedness that we see pervading the biblical account as well as we see evident in our society just misidentified. So the destruction and the defeat of Satan is a conceptual reality for the church. The church would soon crush Satan under their feet in that first century. Romans chapter 16 verse 20. That was a conceptual identity that was going to be given to the church. The book of Revelation is written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And these seven churches would receive the information, the knowledge, the truth of the defeat of Satan through all that Christ was going to fulfill from Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. That was a conceptual reality being given to the church. For us, in Christ, Satan is defeated because we are not leaning upon the carnal mentality. We are clinging and prayerfully always looking to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. So in Genesis chapter 6, we see the further effects of this fall that Adam, the image of God, suffered in idolatry, walking in idolatry, what Israel would later do. As Hosea says, like Adam, they have violated the covenant. We see that wickedness is further manifest. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 6 simply seems to be a a recapitulation of what we see in the garden. Wickedness manifesting itself. Man leaning upon his own understanding. Man wandering after idolatry. Man being led by his own misunderstanding always leads to death. Always. Man being led by his own misunderstanding leads to death. We want to remember that. Always leads to death is a great addition to that. That is a quote from Wicked. Romans chapter 8 verse 6, we see that the carnal mind is death and sin, sin and death. Sin and destruction, life, uh, death and destruction, wickedness. Whereas the spiritual mind, those that are spiritually minded have life and peace. Have that shalom, that harmony, not chaos, not confusion. In Romans chapter 1, I want to take us to that text. We read about how Israel fell into this carnality says this, the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel that he would proclaim, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God in revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Again, this is the revealing of Genesis. The people to whom God had given his truth, Israel. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Again, we know this is only speaking about Israel because the Gentiles, as Ephesians says, were in the world without God and without hope. The oracles of God had been given to the Hebrews, to the people that came from Adam specifically who came through Seth and then later came through Shem and then later came through Isaac. You see, and then Jacob. There's a specific lineage being outlined through that Old Testament. For even though they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God, give, as God or give thanks, 
but they became futile in their speculations, note that, futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the invisible, incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. So, I just want to stop there because that made the point. Israel, in their idolatry, wandered after carnality and suffered because of that. And we see this how this further propounds itself. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, when Jesus comes and rebukes the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, and he tells them, when you go over land and sea to make converts, you make them twice as much the sons of hell as you are. Man being led by his own misunderstanding leads to death. Man being led by other men's misunderstanding, as we've noted in messages before using the book of Jeremiah, where he talks about leaning upon the strength of man, leaning upon the wisdom of man, always leads to death. There's a phrase in the Hebrew, Resha Yatza Rasha. This is used in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 13. It is noted as an ancient proverb. And that ancient proverb means, from evildoers comes wickedness. And that seems to be obvious, right? From evildoers comes wickedness. Well, what this is speaking about is the quality of mind that evildoers have, and that they, in the natural, we will always be evildoers, and evildoers will always manifest death and destruction. That's the natural versus the spiritual. That's why in Scripture, when it says that if you're godly, if you're of God, you will not sin. Because the quality of mind, it doesn't mean that you're not going to individually sin, not going to have moments of sin, but you're not going to be identified by that sin. You're not going to be identified as an evildoer because you've moved away from the natural into the spiritual. On Saturday morning, we had a Bible study here, and we talked about waiting on the Lord. And I had noted that this could otherwise be understood to mean always do the right thing. See it from a God's eye view, waiting on his wisdom rather than leaning upon your own. And I had mentioned that this is the goal of the wisdom books, is to elevate our mind away from, you know, the wisdom books, again, just to kind of note that for us, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. These writings are called to elevate our wisdom above the wisdom that we have in the natural. I want to demonstrate that before you this morning. Psalm chapter 27. I'm going to turn there real quickly. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I would have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So you see here in Psalm chapter 27... You have David going up against armies that it seems impossible to defeat. And rather than leaning upon his own wisdom, he trusts in God. He says, God, you are going to be the one that's going to lead me in a level path. You are the one that is going to defeat my adversaries. You are going to be the one that's going to remove the false witnesses who have risen up against me. 
I will not despair because I believe that I will see God move on my behalf. In other words, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But I will wait on the Lord. I will always do the right thing. I will not lean upon my own misunderstandings and do what I believe and lean upon the strength of man. You see, that's what David is uttering here. And I want to take us to a proverb that seems to highlight some contemporary aspects, some things that speak to uh, what we see pervading our culture today and how and what wisdom we need to be giving in those situations. So we're going to be turning to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 17 through 24. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves, no, I'm sorry, that's, well, we could use those verses as well. You could pretty much use the whole book of Proverbs to talk about these things, but chapter 20, verse 17. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Why? Because bread obtained by falsehood, you know, if you're living in poverty and you need food, The natural, unfortunately, tells you to go and do it by fraud, theft. Instead of leaning upon the wisdom of God and trusting in the right ways. So that man that leans upon his own misunderstanding, his mouth will be filled with gravel. Again, we know the right way to uh, obtain bread and, and money is not by falsehood. It's by being truthful. 18, prepared plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. You know, it's always the problem of man to uh, just do it on his own. Do what he thinks is right, not seek wise counsel. Again, this is a prayer we pray for our country. This is a prayer we pray for, you know, even ourselves in an individual way that we would make wise decisions. Seek out wise counsel. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. I don't think I need to preach too much here about, you know, the, the dangers of gossip about the fact that we're all innately gossipers and we love to just go around slander rather than speak good about people and remove ourselves from gossip. How often do we find ourselves in these conversations and in these situations where even we may be the slanderer? Don't lean upon that wisdom. Move away from that. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. Again, catch the wisdom there. That speaks to our culture today. How many people do we hear talking about disrespectful children to parents? And I know everybody talks about how it's a sign of the end times. No. We see, going all the way back to the time of Adam, surely killing your brother, Cain killing Abel, is disobeying your parents. Surely going after idols in opposition to what your parents had taught you. All throughout the books of 1 Kings, actually we don't even need to go that far, you go right to the book of Joshua. Go right to when Moses ascended up to the top of Mount Sinai. And he comes down and they're worshiping idols. Surely that's disobedient to your mother and father. If you're living a part of a religion, a faith, that is saying to keep your eyes on the one true unseen God and do not worship idols. Verse 21, inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. I mean, let's catch that one. That, that's, you know, that, that's the prodigal son right there. How quick do we just to take our inheritance and squander it rather than seeking the wisdom of God, staying in the house of the Lord. Verse 22, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. We know how that works. Revenge, a vengeance, how we seek to do it on our own. Somebody does us harm, we want to do them harm, rather than be as peaceful as we can be, as Romans chapter 12 encourages us. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord. A false scale is not good. Again, just having dishonesty, dishonest scales, dishonest measurements. 
Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? And he can't. That's the point we're going to focus on today. The point of this entire message is that man cannot do this on his own. Man cannot move away from natural inborn tendencies and live righteous and demolish wickedness and manifest the kingdom on his own. Matter of fact, man doing that, doing it on his own, trying to do it on his own, is not waiting upon the Lord. It is not going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that is the wickedness that we are waging war against. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved. The man who does so need not be ashamed. And that is the goal. That's reversing the curse. Reversing the curse of the Garden of Eden because Adam led upon his own understanding and listened to his wife who leaned upon her own misunderstandings and ate of that tree, ate of that idolatry. We study to show ourselves approved, studying the word of God and the promises of God and the truth of God to glean and know the wisdom and knowledge of God to not be ashamed, to not lean upon our own understanding. John 4.24 says that God desires worshipers in spirit and in truth because life that Christ came to bring, life to the full that you read about in John 10.10, cannot be found unless you worship God in spirit and in truth. It is only by worshiping God in spirit and in truth and studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth and not being ashamed that we could set our mind on things that are above as Philippians 4.8 commands us. And this is only done by way of the Spirit. And the Spirit only comes to those who are His in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Understanding wickedness is vital to understanding the power of the gospel. Wickedness is not something that affects us by way of an outside source. Rather, what we see in Scripture is that wickedness is innate. Saying that wickedness is innate demonstrates that the origin is inborn and unfortunately the natural state of man. The gospel is the only alternative. The Old Testament reveals the innate wickedness found within all mankind by way of the historic narrative of Israel. Israel was called out of wicked idolatry that surrounded them in an effort to bring forth truth and righteousness. Sadly, the story reveals, through the lens of historic Israel, that mankind is always ready to supplement wicked thoughts for truth. The narrative of wickedness reveals that man, without divine intervention, without God reaching in and doing something, is left to his own devices and or strongholds. Man will always relish in wickedness of his own. Total depravity is what 16th century John Calvin, 16th century reformer John Calvin, noted for us. Totally deprived of the goodness of God. John Calvin said this, Man, with all of his shrewdness, is as stupid as about understanding by himself the mysteries of God as an ass is incapable of understanding musical harmony. Did you catch that? How well do donkeys dance? (laughs) In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we see very clearly that all men are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. All men. No man can understand the mysteries of God by his own. But Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 talks about how the gospel is salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile. It is through that proclamation of the gospel that man is elevated above the carnal, natural state of things and is able to develop a conceptual understanding that is given by God. The Hebrew worldview was entirely conceptual. The natural, carnal way, wickedness, which is magnified through the law and the prophets concerning historic Israel of the flesh, was and is Man choosing what is right according to his own eyes. 
And this led and continues to lead many to false spirituality and false religion. Next week, we're actually going to talk about spirituality and religion. We're going to identify why false spirituality and false religion is the enemy, manifest wickedness and nothing else, and why we need to have a true spirituality and a true religion. Before we move into a time of examination and repentance and renewal through our celebration of the Lord's table, allow me to clarify our growing go. Do you know anybody that is leaning upon their own understanding regarding the wisdom of God? Do you know anybody that needs to be led away from that type of thinking? Begin to think of that person now. Think of a couple people that you know. They need to be given the truth of God. They need to be challenged to get a true religion and a true spirituality in contrast to a false religion and a false spirituality that will manifest wickedness and wickedness alone. Do you know anybody that needs life and life to the full? Needs to hear the wisdom of God? Begin to do the seed planting. Write their name down. Begin a conversation with them. Challenge them with the truth of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you go before us, Lord. We thank you that we have this opportunity to know you, Lord, to know your truth, to identify wickedness through the Spirit, Lord, to be elevated above wickedness through the Spirit, Lord, and to demolish strongholds through your power and your power alone. Send us forth, Lord, as a people that will do exactly that. For your glory, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.